just a reminder, here at That's So Chronic, we are dedicated to sharing personal stories. We are not advocating any type of treatment, therapy, procedure or intervention. Everyone is unique, so please seek professional medical advice before making any decisions for yourself or for others. Welcome to That's So Chronic, the podcast where I, Jess Bryan, interview some incredible people from around the world that are thriving and sometimes only just surviving with chronic illnesses, life-changing injuries and potentially disastrous diagnoses. Today I am joined by Dr. Simone Singler and we are discussing her diagnosis of rheumatoid arthritis as well as her work as a pediatric rheumatologist and integrative medicine physician. In this episode Dr. Simone shares her story of working for years in rheumatology and then going through her own rheumatoid arthritis diagnosis process. We chat about how she felt suddenly becoming a patient of her own expertise, how she manages her symptoms, the art of saying no, and how she navigates working as a doctor, running her own clinic, being a mum, and living with RA. I really enjoyed chatting to Dr. Simon, and I think you're really going to like this episode as well. Welcome to That's So Chronic. Uh, I am just so happy that I have managed to get the time difference right today because a couple of episodes ago, I got the complete wrong day. So (laughs) I'm so happy that you're here right now. (laughs) So you are a triple board certified physician in general pediatrics, pediatric rheumatology, and also integrative medicine, which fun fact, as I found out doing a deep dive on your website, you are the only pediatric subspecialist in Houston with this level of training. Right. I thought that was very impressive. Thank you. You are also a mum and you are living with a diagnosis of rheumatoid arthritis. I cannot wait to get into everything. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So I thought to start with, before we chat a little bit more about the work that you do with Room to Grow, I was really curious about your diagnosis journey of rheumatoid arthritis. When did this enter your life? No, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, first of all, thank you for having me. So let me take a step back. So Me going into rheumatology had nothing to do with my diagnosis. I went into rheumatology because I loved kids, I or pediatric rheumatology, I should say. So I liked the joint exam. I liked immunology. I liked the the long-term care. I mean, I knew everything about arthritis, right? Yeah. And then after I started practicing, I started getting the same symptoms as my patients. Wow. You know, my hands would get stiff, I was fatigued, it would get better throughout the day, warm showers would help. And I was like, am I just one of those people who creates, you know, these symptoms because they see it every day? Yeah. Uh, And then this was months later, I was like, no, I really should see a doctor for this. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, that led me to an adult rheumatologist's office who was like, no, you have rheumatoid arthritis. Wow. And I was like, no, no, I don't, because how could I have missed that? (laughs) wow so what were the symptoms you mentioned about the hands what did your day-to-day look like then when these symptoms started you know it was so subtle I had I was postpartum about 
five, six months. This was after my second child. So Mm -hmm. I was like, you know, I'm tired. Uh, My joints hurt because maybe I have a little bit of fluid I'm still retaining. And so I'm achy. It's a little bit normal in the morning for people to be stiff up to a certain number of minutes. Yeah. So I just put myself in that bucket. But then when the stiffness was bad enough to where my rings weren't fitting or I wasn't able to grab like my comb, you know, or my brush, that's when I was like, ooh, this seems a little bit out of the norm of what I would say is, you know, normal for most people. Yeah. And the fatigue was a real thing for me. I didn't realize this as a doctor, but Mm -hmm. it's so much more than just the aches and pains and stiffness. I mean, you are drained. Yeah. You are drained. And I want to blame that drainage to just life, like being a mom and a new mom, you know, and work and all this stuff. But it was my body. It was just being inflamed. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Interesting. If someone is listening and they have never heard of rheumatoid arthritis before, how would you describe what this condition is? That's a great, that's a great uh, question. I think for people who aren't familiar with the feeling, I think I would say it's as if you have woken up and your hands feel like stone and you can't move them and you just need a few minutes to loosen up, you know, you feel stuck and it aches and it hurts. It's like you worked out and you're still sore, but you didn't work out yeah. <laughs> the day before. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you just feel fatigued. You feel achy. Mm-hmm. And it is an autoimmune condition Correct. as well, isn't it? Right, right. So in rheumatoid arthritis, so there's many different types of arthritis. And in rheumatoid mm-hmm. arthritis specifically, it's your immune system attacking your own joints. Right. So your immune system should not be attacking your own joints. They should no. be helping you fight. <laughs> they should be helping you fight viruses, bacteria, you know, protecting you, not going rogue and attacking your own cells. So yeah. that's what differentiates it from like osteoarthritis where you have more wear and tear and mechanical joint damage, you know? So that for me going into the diagnosis knowing so much about it was probably not helpful. On any level. <laughs> yeah. When I was interviewing Dr. Kara Wada the other day, mm-hmm. she mentioned that sometimes not too much knowledge is actually at the detriment of the patient. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like ignorance is bliss because you are allowed to ask questions. You say, is this normal? In my head, I've already answered my question. I'm like, yeah. ah, fatigue, you know, no, wait, I didn't read that in the books. Not, not too many people have that, but Boy, being a patient, you're just like, what? why didn't they teach us any of this? Yeah. <laughs> so because you had an understanding of what this condition is, did you also have an understanding of how to manage it and treat it moving forward then? No, I would say yes and no, mostly mm-hmm. no. The reason I say that is because my knowledge of treating this condition is very one-dimensional. Okay. It's we know what's causing it. Here are the labs to confirm it or imaging to confirm it. These are the medications that have been tried and we know it'll work because the data says it works on people like you, right? Um, Yeah, real life is a little bit different because you realize, yes, the medications should theoretically work. When I was on my sixth or seventh biologic, I'm like, why is this so difficult? Wow, six or seven. Yes, I, I was like, is it the wrong diagnosis? Is it, am I not taking it right? Is, is there something else going on? You know, I had all these thoughts and I didn't realize that it is somewhat normal to have to play around with medications multiple times, like yeah. eight times to get yeah. the right combination. But with each time that you fail one and you move on to the next, you feel like, 
oh gosh, here we go. Like such a failure. And then hope. Like so many emotions all in one go, right? Yeah. You're like, I'm mad, I'm sad, I'm angry, but I'm hopeful yeah. <laughs> that the next that the next round of medications will work. And I didn't that was so eye-opening to me that I have put patients through that, right? Because yeah. my job is to kind of get them into remission, but didn't realize to sit there and explain like it's okay that this is happening. You yeah. are there's nothing wrong. Like you're not doing anything wrong. You're taking your medications. This is still on the spectrum of normal. Work with me, right? Yeah. If someone had told me that, I feel like my resilience factor would have been a little bit more. It is, I can only imagine, completely different learning about something in the textbook right. and also, you know, with the theory as opposed to actually living it and going right. through those emotions as well. Because potentially, from what I can sort of understand, it's it's like those emotions aren't taught. The, the right. journey of no. what you're going to go through isn't in the right. textbook. Right. Yeah. And we're humans. We're humans having human experiences with feelings and we're complex. And so everything, yes, medicine is wonderful in that it treats us how to put, put this disease into remission and make it go away. Mm -hmm. But there's so much more than just taking your meds and getting a good joint exam and having yeah. a low disease score. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you eventually find a treatment that worked for you? So far, I think I'm on the right combination. I'm on, okay. a, I'm on a biologic plus a methotrexate. Okay. every week. So that's kind of worked for me as much as I didn't want to have to do both of them. I just kind of had to bite the bullet and, and give it a try. So, yeah. and that's, that, that was the other part. It's like when someone, when a patient comes to you and says, I don't want to take this medicine because of the side effects, it's like a battle that I don't want to have. Right. I'm like, Oh, just try it. But yeah. then when you're that patient, <laughs> Yeah. You're like, I don't want to be on methotrexate because I don't want to feel crappy the day after, right? And so yeah. I think the empathy factor is completely there. It's yeah. completely there. As you, like, how did you feel having to go to the other side and be a patient? Did that take any sort of, how did you feel about that? It was such a weird and ironic experience, yeah. you know? It's like that Alanis Morissette song, like, you have 10,000 spoons, but all you need is a knife. Like yeah. it just, I just felt like I was living in this song or story. I'm like, I treat this day in and day out. This is like a cruel joke almost, yeah. you know, that I have to go through this. But I will say out of my entire whatever years of training, having this diagnosis has been the most educational and eye-opening for me. Where were you in your medicine journey when this diagnosis started? I was completely out of training. I was done. I was a grown-up rheumatologist. Oh, wow. Seeing patients on my own. I had I was board certified at that point. So I was done with my rheumatology training. Integrative okay. medicine kind of came later down the road. But, you know, I was a rheumatologist rocking and rolling. <laughs> yeah. What inspired you to get into rheumatology? From your website, I noticed that you started with a Bachelor of Arts in biochemistry. Yeah. And moved into medicine right. and then eventually pediatric rheumatology right what no. inspired you to make these connections you know initially I thought I did bachelor of arts in biochemistry because I loved immunology so much I love science I love the detail I'm very detail oriented I like to understand okay. things from the ground up so biochemistry made sense and then I like the whole helping people aspect and you know so that's where kind of medicine came into play and then in medical school I thought I would be a surgeon because I liked ah. hands-on stuff procedures and then I was like, you know, I think I like solving things. <laughs> so 
Yeah. <laughs> so then, and I like kids. So I went more towards the general pediatrics route. Here in the U.S., you have to finish three years of your general pediatrics training. So I'm I'm a okay. pediatrician first. And then throughout my general pediatrics training, I always gravitated towards the more complex cases, uh, especially chronic care stuff where it wasn't just a one mm-hmm. and done, like, see you later, hope you feel better. You know, it was more, you know, <laughs> come back in a few weeks, we'll see how you're doing on this, we'll make some tweaks. So I really liked that aspect of it. And and pediatric rheumatology just put everything together for me. I love hearing about people's journeys and how they got to where they are today. When I was thinking about connecting with you for this interview, I had a flashback and I remembered an episode, I think it was with Holly and she is living with Bichette's syndrome. Mm, yeah. And in that episode, I remember us saying, what even is a rheumatologist? What is rheumatology? Right. <laughs> and we had no idea. Exactly. Would you be able to answer that for us? Today? Yeah. <laughs> what does a rheumatologist do? In simple terms, a rheumatologist is a doctor that basically treats disorders or issues where the immune system attacks your own body. Like I said earlier, your your immune system is not supposed to be attacking you, right? You're supposed to be protecting you. But sometimes dysfunctions happen, there's little kinks in the plan, and it goes rogue and starts attacking different parts (laughs) of you. The diseases Mm -hmm. are based on what organ or what parts of the body are being attacked. So, for example, in Bichette's, it can attack different um, sizes of the walls of the blood vessels and cause different types of issues. In rheumatoid arthritis, it mainly affects the joints, but as we now know, it can affect other organs too, like your lungs, your eyes, you know, things like that. So it, it just depends. You, the name of the illness that you have is based on what part of the body is being attacked inappropriately. Right. And that's the job of the rheumatologist is to figure out, okay, what's the name to that issue? Sometimes we don't have a name, by the way. We just kind of treat based on, well, you kind of look like this. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then we retrain the immune system and kind of get your body back to, it's like a light switch that we have to turn on and then off again. I feel like that is really intense because you kind of have to know about everything then. Yes. That is another reason actually I liked rheumatology. I wasn't so focused on one organ. Mm -hmm. It was very much anything is game to be affected. So we're going to, we're going to have to know about everything. (laughs) Yeah. And then adding in the pediatric element to all of this as well. Is it overwhelming when you see children present with these symptoms? It's difficult. Because mm. sometimes it, I think just a couple of weeks ago, I saw a 15 month old with juvenile oh, arthritis wow. and they can't communicate to you so well that Ooh, I'm stiff in the morning and it hurts when I bend my knee, you know, it's so for me, it's, it's another layer of detective work. And so I'll ask the parents like, Hey, are they able to put their diaper on? Okay. Do they, did they move their leg? Okay. For you, mm. are they walking around? You know, so my questions for parents are a little bit different than if I was talking to an adolescent or an adult asking yeah. about their symptoms. And, and I've had to learn that along the way. That's not something that's every patient is different. So you kind of pick up your learning style, um, with each patient. Mm. I feel like there's a conception out there in the world that arthritis happens when you're really, really old. (laughs) I know. And yeah, I'm learning, you know, that that's not true. Right. I would be out of a job if that was the case. Yeah. Yeah. No, it affects most people. I mean, it's not like it's super common, obviously, but Mm. it does happen. And the problem is in any rheumatologic condition, because you're inflamed, unless you turn it off, that inflammation is going to continue. Just like a little train that keeps going, unless you put it to a a stop, 
it's going to do whatever it wants. And so my job mm. is to kind of make sure that, okay, we got the diagnosis right because the medicines I'm about to give you is about to put your immune system on halt for a second. Do we know why this happens? No, that's a that's like the bajillion dollar question that so yeah. <laughs> many people are trying to answer. But we, what we do know is that it is the perfect storm. So you're born with a certain genetic setup, right? Good old genes. Okay. Something yeah. in the environment tickles your immune system the wrong way, whether it's an infection or whatever it may be. Um, you might have some exposure to smoking. You might not be brushing your teeth and you have some periodontal disease. There's different factors. And then that just sets up kind of the perfect storm to start this immune system that train again and it just slowly starts going. Okay, so when we look at your timeline, you've gone through medical school, you're practicing as a pediatric rheumatologist, right. you are then diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, and I'm wondering, when does Room to Grow, your clinic, when does that fit into this timeline? No, yeah, that's a, that, it, you know, I haven't thought about that in so long, <laughs> because it's been so long. <laughs> So let's see. I think so a couple of years into diagnosis, I'm still practicing as a regular traditional pediatric rheumatologist. You know, after like the second or third biologic at this point, I'm like, gosh, I wish someone would assess me like head to toe, lifestyle, yeah. deep dive and make sure that I'm not messing up you know, something along the way, like part of the equation, maybe it's my fault. Maybe I need to look into what I'm eating and how I'm sleeping. And nobody could answer those questions for me, unfortunately. Okay. And we are trained in traditional medicine to focus on the problem at hand, what we know about the problem and the medications to fix it. And this is how we treat it, right? And that's how yeah. I had been practicing. And then all of a sudden, when you become the patient, you're like, but something else might be happening because yeah, every there's time more to this. <laughs> there's more because every time I'm on call in the hospital and I'm get, getting woken up overnight, um, the following week I'm on prednisone for, you know, which are steroids yeah. for a tapering dose for whatever, three weeks or something like that. And after the, you know, month three or four of that happening, you're like, okay, I think I need sleep. I think my body actually requires sleep and it's part of this whole equation of keeping my disease in remission. And so the more I did, I was like, you know what? But since nobody else can answer this for me, I'm just going to do a little bit of research on my own, which led me to the world of integrative medicine. Okay. And I didn't know what that was. I, you know, I needed a little bit more clarity on that. And so that ended up with me doing another two-year fellowship through okay. the University of Arizona with Dr. Andrew Weil, who's kind of a big name in integrative medicine. He's kind of the father of integrative medicine. And it focuses on Obviously, we know in the Western world, we this is how we treat medicine, you know, how we treat different diseases. But what if mm -hmm. we married that with complementary medicine that is evidence-based for your for the condition you're treating, right? Because yeah. traditional medicine has been there, but guess what? Like Eastern medicine has been around way longer, yeah. <laughs> way, way longer. So is there something to that? Is there something to assessing someone's sleep, getting them to sleep better, maybe not eating so much processed food or doing meditation or breath work that might help them get to disease remission faster or not just the disease part, but help them cope with this whole diagnosis a lot better. Yeah. And so then I was like, oh yeah, this is what I've been needing. And so, <laughs> so then I went ahead and did the whole fellowship. And, and then I was like, you know, if I need this, 
I can only imagine how many other people need this, especially kids, right? Why not start them young to be kind of proactive in their care? And so then I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I think I want to start a practice. None of this hit me like a ton of bricks. It was just kind of a slow build. And then I think about a year, year and a half ago is when I left traditional academic medicine and then decided to start my own private practice in Houston, Texas. Which is, of course, Room to Grow. I love the name. Thank you. It's such a great great name. Thank you. (laughs) And so tell us all about Room to Grow. Yes. What are you doing there? So Room to Grow is a a medical practice that, again, combines our regular world of rheumatology, pediatric rheumatology. But then I layer on all the stuff that really unless you know to ask for it. I don't even know if people know to ask for it about their own lives. So what are you eating? Who does the cooking? Are you sitting together as a family? Are you getting enough sunshine? What latitude in the world do you live in? Do you need vitamin Mm. D? You know, what's your vitamin D level? Do you have symptoms after not sleeping well or eating certain types of food or when you're stressed, right? Or do you feel like you've hit a point in your road where you're, everything is all good and you don't want to be compliant anymore? Because that happens, right? Yeah. <laughs> do you have a good social support? Do you have that network of people that you can go to when you, it's a flare week or you're having a bad day and you're tired, right? So all the, I, yeah. I do kind of like a bird's eye 360 assessment of your whole life, not just the medical part, right? And some yeah. kids I can understand a little bit better. Now I know Ayurveda a little bit more and the body types and what type of conditions affect certain types of people I can help them like I have a lot of kids who have anxiety they're tall little lanky skinny kids and you start to notice a pattern right and I say do you enjoy the pool do you enjoy water they're like oh we love water and that's in Ayurvedic medicine that's it pacifies that whole trait of wanting to move and be anxious and and constantly doing stuff. And so I start to put together different traits and give them advice that's not just take this medicine, this is the side effect, this is how we reduce the side effect. Did you ever experience any resistance from the medical world, I suppose, from being really interested in integrative medicine? Yes, because I think there's a couple of schools of thought. It's like, well, you went to school to fix the medical problem at hand. So why don't we Mm. just stick to that lane? You know, I'm like, yeah, but now my lane has expanded because I know what my patients are feeling, right? Like I understand their pain points, literally. I understand their pain points. So why not be able to address it? Because I figured this stuff out for myself. I do symptom Mm. tracking. I, I can predict when I'm about to have a flare before it even happens. I know how to prepare for it. So why don't I teach these things to to kids as well? Yeah, that was going to be a question whether you implemented this into your own disease management first or whether that came after. I think I started kind of dabbling in it on my own. And Mm -hmm. when I realized that I need to have a nighttime alarm so I don't go to bed at 10, 30, 11, and then wake up at six something in the morning, it's not enough for my body, right? When I started being consistent and implementing more discipline into my life, I realized what a difference it made in my health. And Mm. when it makes a difference in my health, that means everyone else in the home gets to be (laughs) happy as well. (laughs) (laughs) I think people might be surprised to hear that to learn this style of medicine it is two years that you have to go back into training for yeah and would I be correct in assuming that there potentially are some people out there that are practicing this type of medicine without that type of training yes 100% you are you are correct because a lot of this 
especially when you have trained in medicine, you're good at looking up stuff and, and extrapolating data and figuring out what works and what doesn't. But the, the problem becomes when you don't know how to assess for side effects or interactions yeah. or have a network of people to reach out to when you have a difficult case and you're just kind of guessing and doing trial and error type of interventions, that doesn't work anymore. So doing it mm. this way is a much safer, I think, and more, it's also very evidence-based. Like everything that I learned is based on papers. Like, well, this works in this type of people. This is what the yeah. studies show. So it's very, it's much more evidence-based than just Googling it or, or yes, trying to gather yeah. all that info on your own. And I can only imagine that it's also extremely individual for the person and what might work for one person living with say rheumatoid arthritis might not work for somebody else with their lifestyle yeah it's not cut and paste it's not cut and paste no and then even like everything is related as well which Mm -hmm. I've also learned through this podcast and on this journey like something as small as taking magnesium might just completely tip everything else over the edge and you don't realize because Mm -hmm. you think, oh, well, it's just magnesium. Right. No, I definitely have that where patients are taking turmeric on their own and they're like, it's causing us to have stomach aches. This is supposed to happen. I'm like, well, yeah, there's different formulations of it. You know, there's different, there are bad outcomes that you can have. And unless someone goes over it with you, it's, how do you know, right? We, We consider it natural and safe, but these are also you're literally taking nature and putting it into a tablet or whatever a capsule yeah. and, and you're taking it. And so, but you have to know what that man-made product is that you're taking. And I guess that highlights the importance of having somebody who has trained in this type of medicine to be able to assist you on that journey. Right. No. And I have like a brain trust of people that I reach out to who've gone through the same fellowship and are rheumatologists, all adults, but still adult rheumatologists, mm. but they have a good understanding of, of the interactions of this worked or that causes that side effect. So we don't use it anymore, you know, or here's where you can look into this for Sjogren's syndrome and dry eyes or dry mouth, you know, this worked for my patient. So I don't know that you get that if you just kind of start doing it on your own. Going back to room to grow, I also just wanted to give you a compliment that the website is just so easy to use. (laughs) And I don't know if this is the case in America, but certainly in New Zealand, sometimes (laughs) medical clinics, their websites are just terrible. <laughs> that was the number one goal of mine. And I'm still continuing. I continue to kind of edit it um, here and there. I'm like, does this make sense to my mom? Does this make sense yeah. to my grandmother? <laughs> okay, if it does, then it's good. It's a keeper. <laughs> yeah. And I really appreciate how everything is just so detailed. And it's like, when you come to an appointment, this is what we're going to do. And if you need a second opinion, like this is the things that you are able to assess for and I just thought I need that compliment to go to you because I was just really impressed thank you (laughs) I'm glad I'm glad to hear that (laughs) yeah before we carry on with the interview I wanted to quickly jump in and say thanks for listening and supporting the work here at That's So Chronic if you're new around here you might not know that it's kind of just me making everything happen so every rating and review on Apple Podcasts every click of the five star button on Spotify and especially those follows on your favourite podcast apps and on Instagram and TikTok do not go unnoticed they really help the algorithms so more people can find That's So Chronic. So again, a huge thank you for supporting. 
You mentioned that sleep was really important for you on your rheumatoid arthritis journey. Were there any other lifestyle factors that you realized were really beneficial for you? Yes, the the stress component was really big for me. Like I've, Mm -hmm. my entire life has just been do this and then this will happen next and get to, you know, you'll get to where you need to go and go, 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 go. There's no break. I'm used to being on 36 hour calls, like where you're awake for 36 hours straight, you rest and you go back to work the next day. You know, you, you just put your you know head down and you work you don't make a squeak you just keep going right and after a while you learn that that lifestyle is not going to serve you and you have a chronic illness yeah (laughs) there you know there might be pockets of time where things are more intense than others but if you do not take the moment to kind of step back and give yourself a break or understand the signals that your body is giving you like break break please yeah like it's it's not gonna it's not going to work out for you. Like you'll just constantly feel that the inflammation that results from all of that. As a medical doctor though, how easy Mm -hmm. was it to sort of move away from that type of lifestyle? No, I'm still struggling to kind of always, I have to actively tell myself that I need to rest. And my husband is wonderful at that. He's kind of learned how to live with a person with rheumatoid arthritis on this journey. I think when we started realizing that sleep makes a critical difference, like he's been great about being like, you are going to stop watching Netflix now. You need to (laughs) go up to bed, you know, let's get to bed, get your aromatherapy on your pillow. (laughs) You know, it's time for you to go to bed. And so he's, he's been great. It feels like I have a team member to help me attain that. Sometimes it's hard. So I mean, especially when I'm starting to do a new practice and venture into business and being an entrepreneur, my mind is constantly on. And I have had to work so hard in putting the brakes on Mm. and just giving myself that time to rest physically and mentally because I can feel, I can feel the flare coming on if I don't. Yeah. Speaking of starting your own business, it, that really reminds me of that quote that I see floating around on the internet where it's like, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. I but know. actually in reality, you work 24 hours a yeah. day pretty much. <laughs> All the time. It, it, in my head at least. Like I might, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, ooh, that would be like an, the website update. You know, I had been meaning to do that a couple of weeks ago and then finally I sat down and just did it. But those those ideas just float around. To, so for me, I'm constantly thinking about it, even though I'm not. I might be reading like a book to my little one, and, and I'll think in the back of my head, like, "Ooh, I need to edit that on the website." Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's hard. It's really hard to be present sometimes, but yeah. you have to actively every day work on it. Something that a lot of patients that live with chronic illness what they tend to gravitate towards, especially after they've first been diagnosed. I know that that was certainly my experience. Is investigating diet Mm -hmm. it's also something that a lot of the general public like to say to people that are living with chronic illnesses right right. what has been your experience with diet especially for rheumatoid arthritis when prior to my prior to doing the fellowship I kind of just did the whole thing where I try to read stuff on my own and that basically led to elimination of multiple groups of foods right so Mm -hmm. like dairy wheat and all that kind of stuff meat and then you realize like this is not working I must be doing it wrong like why is it working for all these other people online but not me and then once I did the fellowship, you realize that, first of all, data is data. Most of the data shows that the anti-inflammatory diet, Mediterranean diet, is what's going to get you long-term success, okay? Mm-hmm. Eliminating groups of food is not a long-term sustainability plan. Like, no. <laughs> I I like my meat sometimes. I like red wine sometimes. I like, you know, I yeah. like this and that. So it's a matter of figuring out 
day-to-day what's important, which are the fruits, veggies, whole grains, that type of thing. And then from here and there, if you want to have your cake, then you probably should eat it, but know that this is not a everyday treat. (laughs) Yeah. Right? Because what we know about rheumatoid arthritis or any inflammatory condition, even psoriasis, is that you are set up for a higher risk of heart disease. So knowing that fact in the back of my head, it motivates me more to be healthy because I need to work harder than the next healthy person to bring that risk down yeah so a lot of it is also motivational interviewing with yourself to figure out why it is you're doing what you're doing yeah and then I guess like thinking more about the work that you do especially with pediatric rheumatology the diet aspect is also probably affects the whole family absolutely absolutely because it's I mean it would be cruel to be like you can't have this but I'm gonna go have a McDonald's you know whatever uh, burger right now it's a I always educate and say this should be a team like family effort everyone sits down if you can for dinner at night get them involved in the cooking, um, you know, teach them now rather than later. And exposure is key. Multiple, multiple exposures to broccoli. They're not going to eat broccoli and Brussels sprouts (laughs) at the first go and be like, ooh, (laughs) thank you. (laughs) So it's, it's a habit. Habit is so key. This Chronic illness is not going anywhere overnight, last yeah. I checked, right? So you're gonna, yeah. your lifestyle has to be the same way. It took me 28 years to introduce Brussels sprouts into my life. So it's definitely a journey. <laughs> exactly. And look at you now. <laughs> exactly. Like I mentioned at the start of the episode, you are also a mum in amongst your busy career and uh, living with rheumatoid arthritis as well. How does that fit into the puzzle? You know, that's been a tough one because along with having RA and then starting my own business and just being busy with patient care, I never want them to feel like an afterthought in my yeah. in my life, right? So I have to actively, what I do is time block. So I'll say with each kid, there are different age groups. My oldest is 10, middle one is seven, youngest is four. Yeah. So I'll do one-on-one activities with them at the beginning of the month throughout the week, you know, like on the first week of the month, you get one hour with me here, here, here. So we actively know that this is me and mommy time one-on-one yeah. time and we talk about everything we do fun activities together during that time frame and that 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 way I feel connected to them even though I have a busy long day I know that oh Friday's coming up I'm gonna go have ice cream with them or whatever yeah. cookies with them and so I build now I have to actively build those blocks of time into my schedule to make sure that that's happening that connection is happening yeah otherwise it's magical thinking to think somehow you're gonna do everything else and then still get to spend time with your kids Mm. and if you are having a day where perhaps your symptoms are flaring or it is a flare episode how does that affect how you can approach being a mum as well yeah it's a great question so those days everyone knows in the home that I need rest okay. especially in not just flare days it's my 24 hours post methotrexate injections yeah. that I just feeling you know icky so I always like to do those on Friday evenings mm-hmm. to kind of sleep through it I have a support system meaning my husband and my kids know they have been educated on mommy needs to rest when she feels like this or give her a 20 minute break let her sit down why don't you guys read or play legos in front of her while she's on the couch laying down so we have little pockets of time built in to help me recover yeah because I think I played that game where I was like, oh, I'm just going to push through yeah. this and, and it's going to be okay. And it, it doesn't work out well for anyone. No. <laughs> so it, you learn along the way that people who love you are going to let you give you that grace 
to rest. Yeah. How do your symptoms look now when you look back to when you were first diagnosed? How does life look for you now? I feel like with my symptoms and my life is crazier, my symptoms have gotten better, thank goodness. You know, the business part of everything. But I think I am much better at recognizing my body's needs now than I was before. Yeah. So before, if I was like, oh, I'm getting tired or I'm, I, I, my joints are hurting, I would just kind of blame it on, ugh, I hate having rheumatoid arthritis. Yeah. I never <laughs> took a proactive step to be like, why do I feel like this versus other days when I don't feel like this? And so now I know it's like, oh, okay, I probably shouldn't stay out until 1130, you know, doing a dinner or this and that. And I just have to have more discipline in in getting rest or just not doing anything or focusing my attention on something else that's more chill rather than running a marathon or <laughs> doing it, you know, doing something like that. I, I, I have now figured out what works for me at yeah. my age versus me 10 years ago. How do you feel having to say no to things then or to leave early? Because I ask from yeah. a personal space because I just said no to something yesterday and it I, I thought about it for the last like five hours after sending that email and it really ate me up inside because I hate having to bail on things, but it is the reality that rest is really important. Yes. No, I, I know completely because you feel saying no is like a, yeah. I'm a people pleaser. So if I'm saying no, it's like the end all of my yeah. life. I'm like, oh my God, they're going to hate me. I create such a conversation, in my, a non-existent conversation yeah, in my head. <laughs> And that's where I have to do my own like cognitive behavioral therapy. <laughs> and so I, I call it the three C's where you you catch those defunct thoughts, you know, and then I'm like, they're not going to hate me. They know I need rest, yeah. right? I think if anything, they should be looking up to me or thinking like, cool, that she yeah. can say no to that, you know? Yes, I like that. Um, and so so I, I catch those, that thinking, that the maladaptive thinking, and then I challenge it like, is there any truth to the what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking? Like if a judge were to judge my thoughts, would they think that I'm right or wrong? And most of the time it's wrong yeah. because <laughs> they're just random thoughts, right, of this person hates me or they're going to think this of me or this and that. And then I let go. I, I, I release those thoughts. Yeah. So catch, challenge, and change or change or release those thoughts. So when, once I started kind of implementing that, you realize that standing up, doing things for you versus doing things for others, there's there's a difference. Yeah. And if you want to be your best you and live your best life, then this is what you have to do. Yeah. And no one should be angry. And the people who don't understand you for saying no, there is a bigger issue at play yeah. with them than you. Yeah, they can get out. <laughs> exactly. They can be mad. They can do whatever, but it's not about them. That's the thing. Like people are so tuned into their own radio yeah. channel in their head that it's not about them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. Catch, challenge, and change. I'm definitely going to use that. Yeah. yeah. Moving forward. Oh, I love that. Try it. It worked at, at first because I'm a very like stubborn person when it comes to thoughts like, no, they're going to hate yeah. me. Da, da, da. And then when I was like, you know, if I was in the court of law with these thoughts and people actually saw my thought bubbles, I think they would all agree this is not right. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely a lot easier said than done, though, in the moment, right. isn't it? Yeah. You just got to keep practicing it, though. Once you do it a little bit, yeah. the second time gets better, third time gets better, you know, it's easier. Yeah. If someone is listening to this episode and they might have just been diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis and like you at the beginning, they 
adopted the, I guess, biomedical model and Mm -hmm. started trialing different medications, but they're also struggling with some of the other symptoms that come along with RA. Would you have any advice to them? I would say this is everything you're feeling. The mixed bag of emotions is completely normal, number one. I think this is where social support is huge, not just within your own internal network, but external network of people who are going through this just like you. Otherwise, you get into this vicious cycle of gloom and doom, gloom and doom, like, and depression and anxiety. That's why people with chronic disease have higher levels of anxiety and depression, right? And when you have that social support internally and externally, it, it builds resistance, a resilience for you, basically. So yes, I think it's very important to acknowledge that you're going to have good days and you're going to have bad days. And that is normal. Yeah. You didn't do anything wrong to have a bad day, right? Yeah. To Sometimes it just happens randomly. These flares occur. But if you know that this is normal and it can happen, then the mindset has to be, what are we going to do to kind of get over this like what what things work what things don't work for us yeah so it's more coach coaching I guess yeah (laughs) you know I really wish that rheumatoid arthritis hadn't entered your life you know I I wish that you didn't have anything to chat on the podcast about but what an incredible opportunity that you are now able to offer to your patients moving forward yeah and you know I was thinking about this kind of flipped setup the other day and it's like well if you're choosing someone to train you to run a marathon or teach you something or giving you financial advice you want to make sure that they have experience in their realm right yes and we never ask that about doctors because you know doctors don't need to have their own diagnosis to treat people (laughs) thank Mm, goodness yeah yeah. But for for me, I actually have the luxury from the patient standpoint that this person knows what I'm going through. The questions yeah. to them, I don't I don't think I should feel embarrassed asking these questions because maybe they've gone through it. Yeah. And so I think there's some credibility to me having that experience that they're about to go through or they're going through that I can guide them in a way that's not just medical, medical, medical. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing your journey with rheumatoid arthritis and also explaining a bit more about the work that you do with me this morning, this afternoon for you. I will (laughs) make sure that I'll leave all of the information to Room to Grow and your social media channels as well so that if people are interested, they can reach out to you. I love it. Thank you so much for having me. No, thank you for being a big supporter of the podcast. I really appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for listening to this episode of That's So Chronic. If you haven't been keeping up on Instagram or TikTok, I'm currently in Europe. I'm recording this outro in Gothenburg, Sweden currently, after just finishing performing at a month-long arts festival in Edinburgh, Scotland. I'm really excited to be over here and I've got a lot of chronic illness content to share. So make sure you're following at That's So Chronic on Instagram and TikTok to keep up to date. You can also subscribe to the the That's So Chronic newsletter on Substack. I promise there is a new edition coming soon. And as always, if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share it with someone who you think might enjoy it as well. That really helps That's So Chronic get into more ears around the world to hopefully spread awareness and more importantly, hope.